Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Gork's Red FM. Welcome to the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at McCarthy 74 On this week's show, Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie joins me to review all the on and off track headlines from the Singapore Grand Prix and discuss why the W Series could be in jeopardy. This week's VIP guest is Irish Under-20 Basketball International and Singleton Super Value Brunel's Lauren Homan, following a dramatic opening weekend for her and her club in the Women's Basketball Super League. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran reviews every game from round 6 of AFLW Season 7.0 and how the Irish players fared. Munster Hockey PRO Graham Catchpole joins me to discuss a fantastic new three-year partnership between Munster Hockey and UCC. Echo Live.ie and Echo Newspaper Chief Sub-Editor Rory Noonan joins me to review last weekend's Cork LGFA County and Relegation Finals at MTU. And we're joined by Echo Live.ie columnist Mary Newman, who previews the SE Systems Cork Camogie Senior and Intermediate Championship semi-finals taking place this weekend. That's all to come on this week's Bumper Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Cork's Red FM's resident Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie is back for her weekly segment reviewing all the latest F1 news. Sarah has a full review of the Singapore Grand Prix, how Max Verstappen missed out on winning this year's F1 title, Sergio Perez's controlled winning drive, and more disappointment for Mercedes and Ferrari, plus some concerning news about the future of the W Series. It's that time of the week again, our regular Formula 1 slot here on the Big Red Bench with our resident expert Sarah McKenzie. Sarah, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, drier than uh, a lot of the fans that were at the Grand Prix this weekend, thankfully. Nice segue to Singapore F1 this past weekend. Uh, incident packed as ever, some good and some bad. But uh, we'll start, first of all, with a bit of a tweet that you put out about my beloved Ferrari uh, at the start when it became apparent that things were going to be delayed up to 60 plus minutes uh, in Singapore. Please take us through that tweet so I can t- uh, argue vehemently. <laughs> <laughs> the tweet, I will say it was attributed to Matt from WTF1, so I can't claim uh, can't claim it all. But he was just comparing the tears of Ferrari fans to the torrential rain that had come down in How Singapore. True. And I will say How true. it did make me giggle. It was a sad giggle, but a giggle nonetheless. <laughs> At least it didn't uh, change their tactics and uh, put out umbrellas on top of the Ferrari cars with the drivers, which is something you could, what you could well see with some of the people involved there. But let's talk about Singapore Grand Prix because coming into it, Max Verstappen was the big headline act because people were, there was a potentially uh, win the world championship, but... Uh, it didn't work out that way, and it worked. It didn't work out that way for Max because of what happened in qualifying, which we'll talk about. But let's talk about the delay with the start of those torrential downpours and what kind of effect that had actually on the race itself. Yeah, it's it's a pretty big subject for a debate because we saw Singapore this year and then Spa last year, which I would argue was kind of an even bigger pains, really, that you know was made by the race directors there. Um, I think the line between being able to run safely on full wet tires and then the point where it becomes really, really dangerous is something that the race directors haven't quite figured out. I think they, you know, they waited over an hour to allow the Grand Prix to start. The track had dried out somewhat, but they still, drivers still started on intermediate tires. And it seems like they're trying to avoid full wet conditions if at all possible. But I suppose the argument from fans then is, you know, we used to see races happen quite regularly in those conditions. Um, 
you know, whether whether we agree on the safety of them or not is kind of a different a different question. But it was definitely frustrating for a lot of people, um, no more so the people that were actually physically there, which, um, you know, not a good experience for them. One of the things that stuck out for me, Sarah, was, I don't know if you remember, Fernando Alonso got on the radio and said, I can't see the dry line. Um, and yeah. then Martin Brundle made a point. Can you just explain for people what a dry line is and why he couldn't see it in those wet conditions? Yeah, so there's a couple of things about Singapore that make that particularly difficult, mainly that it's a night race. So what that means is that you have an awful lot of artificial light coming out onto the track and also the drivers wear a different type of visor because it's different, obviously, driving in the daytime versus the nighttime. Um, And essentially, a a dry line is, as it would suggest, where the track is completely dry, which you would normally want a dry or slick tyre in that scenario. But a lot of the drivers, in fact, all of them began the race on intermediates, which are sort of supposed to be best in that transition period from wet to dry. And they were kind of moving around trying to pick up a little bit of moisture and they couldn't see it. They couldn't see the dry versus the wet because of all the reflection and because of everything that the kind of, I suppose, what's coming in at them Mm. visually from outside of of, uh, the helmet. And it definitely does make driving an F1 car even more tricky than it already is. Yeah, I was laughing. Well, I wasn't laughing. Well, I was laughing, actually, uh, at some of the the drivers that went into the, like, there was a period where the the, the runners at the back of the grid, Latifi and a few of those those were having trouble with with grip, and they were just kind of sailing into the corners. And I was going, Mm. God, that's really poor. I mean, it's obviously the the better drivers know what they're doing here. And then we see Max Verstappen. Then we see uh, Lewis Hamilton making those kind of mistakes you don't associate with those drivers uh, a mixture of frustration and not being able to get past cars because there's very little room around Singapore to make any kind of passing manoeuvres but also misjudging corners based on the fact of the conditions or am I being too kind to, to Max and Lewis there? I think the two of those in particular were definitely born of frustration. Mm. You know, they'd been stuck behind their various um, blockers, let's call them, for, for quite a while at that point and I think particularly for Max, he, he wasn't really expecting from what we gathered to win the championship this weekend, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't want, you know, the best possible result. And definitely Lewis was really annoyed with his scenario. So I think, you know, maybe a little bit to do with the conditions. It certainly didn't help, I would say. Mm. Um, but as you said, uncharacteristic from, from those two. And I did tweet at the time that even the best will, will make mistakes at times. And, we don't see them very often, but when we do, I suppose, you kind of, you know, the audible gasp and mm. and all those things that come with it. Yeah, because we're watching, you and I, Formula One long enough. One thing I, I'm delighted to see is a reverse gear <laughs> for so many years. <laughs> yeah. So many years in Formula One, millions pumped into it. They go off, you know, a driver goes off and then, oh, we can't reverse because there's no reverse gear. So mm-hmm. thankfully that's there. Um the other thing I was going to ask about from Ferrari, oh yeah, George Russell. The, the, George Russell came in late, and there seemed to be going back to your point about um, the tires and the tire choices. They, they seemed to dither a little bit on what they were going to do in terms of tire choice. But when he came out, he was like, you know, Bambi on ice. I mean, there, there's your example again of the conditions and not getting the tire choice right in these tight games or, or tight races um, can be absolutely crucial. Yeah, it was an interesting one for Mercedes because they had Lewis, who at that point was, I still, I think, still in third position. Um, and then they had George, who had actually started it from the pit lane because he had taken a new power unit. And like you say, he was like Bambi on ice when he came out on the slicks. I think it was too early. Pretty much every other driver was coming on the radio saying that it was too early for slicks. 
But with that being said, he effectively served as the guinea pig um, mm. for the rest of the field and all of the teams. They were, you know, the drivers were asking over the radio for his data on the slicks. The teams were obviously monitoring it really closely. So I think really Mercedes just took a gamble, you know, knowing that it, it was unlikely to give them a miracle result. But I think they just wanted to, you know, to see what was going to happen there. And to be fair, George has been fantastic all season. Yeah. So, you know, you would take a gamble on him um, in that kind mm. of scenario, which I think is fair enough. Um, before we just talk about the, the race winner and somebody that seems to be forgotten in the headlines yet again, Sergio Perez, uh, Ferrari, second and third, on paper looks really, really good. They didn't have the pace um, to catch Perez, or at least it didn't look like it. And they certainly didn't have the pace. They just about had the pace to hold off Lewis Hamilton when he was in fourth. Um, I think perhaps in a different track, it might have been a different scenario where there was more passing manoeuvres. But look, I think Ferrari will take it second and third. But it, to me, watching it through the, you know, the, the, the prancing horse tinted glasses, it's just like they were there, the two of them. And they were there and they were second, they were third. And that, that was it. And there didn't seem to be m- much change in that or much uh, or, or likelihood that Perez was going to be passed. Yeah, it was interesting because I think DRS played a big part in their race um, or Mm. the lack of it. I suppose it didn't get activated until very late on in the race again because of the wet conditions. Um, Essentially, the race directors will not activate DRS until they feel like it's, again, fully safe for them to do so. And I think ironically for Leclerc, he would have loved it Mm. because he kept getting to within that one second window of Perez and then just couldn't quite overtake him. Um, And then... Conversely, for science, I think it would have been a disaster for him because there were occasions where Lewis Hamilton was within a second of him and, and would have been looking for that overtake. So I think strangely it had, you know, opposite effects on, on both their races. But I agree. I think, you know, someone commented yesterday that we hadn't talked about a Ferrari blunder all weekend. And I think that's, you know, that is really, you know, we laugh, but it is a positive. It's a progress. Know. I'm laughing at the progress of it, but it's yeah. true. I suppose yeah. in a race where you saw so many mistakes, you saw, you know, mm. Verstappen getting wrong off the line and Hamilton going wrong, like we said earlier on, I think they were probably being, I, of all the races where they had a, a, a pep talk beforehand, both on the pits and the pit crew and certainly the two drivers, yeah, they did. They did. They were very, very solid. But to the point, I suppose, and going back to Sarah, to the point where they weren't going to get near Perez even when it looked like it. And they, they were just about holding off the rest behind them because of the state of the track, not necessarily because of their pace. So is it? Is it? A, I suppose it's a thumbs in the middle rather than a thumbs up or a thumbs down for Ferrari, yeah? Yeah, completely agree. I think it was, a, you know, a middling race for them. Mm. You know, happy with the points, absolutely, for the constructors and everything like that. But... Yeah, it wasn't, uh, it, it didn't light up the world, shall we say. Yeah, I'll take that. Um, let's <laughs> talk about the fact that Sergio Perez won this for Red Bull. Really controlled drive, I thought. And all weekend he was on point. When Verstappen had the, the fuel issues and, and, and qualifying and all that was going on, he just got on with the business of doing what he does. And I think it was mentioned in commentary that this may well have been, no, I don't, I, I'll be honest, I don't know, I haven't seen enough of Perez's drives in his career to say that this was the best. But it was certainly consistent. It was error-free and uh, very controlled, I think is the I was the word I was using at the time. A good boost for him. And considering, and I know you wanted to talk about that, the amount of safety cars we had to deal with, which made it re- really mm. stretched it out after having to wait the extra hour for the start. But he kept his cool and got the win and deservedly so. Absolutely. Really impressive. Like you said, there were many, many safety cars and virtual safety cars. And it does take, you know, 
a huge amount of concentration and skill, particularly in those conditions, to be able to manage all of those restarts and not have the car that is hunting you down pass you out. That is, you know, that 100% was really well done. Um, he was also dealing with a an issue um, towards the end of the race. He was kind of coming over the radio saying the drivability of the engine was not good, but then swapping fastest laps with Charles Leclerc. So I think he truly got the very best out of that Red Bull this weekend. Um, and I think he deserves the credit for it. He's been very much overlooked this season, um, which I think is unfair. And, you know, Christian Horner joked earlier on in the, the coverage on Sky about, oh, yeah, we also have Checo. And, you know, he went and won the race. And I think he does definitely deserve more more credit than he gets. Um, controversial, obviously, in the end, because he did have those infringements with yes. the safety car. This one is tricky for me because I believe in rules. Uh, I believe in them being being held too, and I think it looked like two five second penalties to me, mm. but it wasn't. In the end, it was one five second penalty, and he had pulled out that seven over seven seconds from Leclerc, so he retains the win. And I think, on the whole, fair result. But you know, just obviously another kind of item on the Red Bull list where it's a little bit questionable. Yeah, there's a lengthy list. We haven't in it. We don't have time to talk about uh <laughs> the other big uh pit uh, off track issue which was a uh, um spending and the money and uh, and how this has been overspent. We'll come back to that I think at another time because I find that very interesting, but it was interesting there about Paris because I felt the exact same as you with it. Look, if it's a rule it's a rule. If he's broken it, he's broken mm-hmm. it. It would be horrific if he was to lose out it. But I just wonder if Mr. Lewis Hamilton had been in the same position, or dare I say it, Mr. Verstappen, might we had a different outcome with such, you know, the fact that Perez is not going for the title, maybe that was on their minds but not imposing the rule. Maybe I'm being too, um, maybe I'm just being too cryptic about the whole Formula 1. But yeah, I agree with you. If, if he if he broke the rule, he broke the rule. And um, it may have cost him the race, but I wonder will we hear about this again before the year is out, before the season is out. No, I, I, I think, you know, not being too critical at all, I think even the fact that they decided they weren't going to investigate it until after the race seemed like a bit of a cop-out to a mm. lot of people. Um, You know, they have people that are there constantly in the back reviewing video. Um, You know, there's no reason why at all why they couldn't have made a decision on it during the race. Christian Horner actually came on the radio and said, I don't know why they haven't. So even he was kind of backing them to, to call it early. And I think... Yeah, again, just another another moment where we sort of question, like, is everyone even on a, le- a level playing field? Um, at which point, if they aren't, things become a bit silly. I think yeah, it'll be a it'll be in the episode of Drive to Survive. Don't worry, that'll be in there at some point. Um, we move away from Formula One to the W Series, which is something you've covered for us uh, extensively since the start of the season. But unfortunately, before we talk about Jamie Chadwick, um, I had read as well on a couple of newspapers during the week, disappointingly, the financial issues are emerging. Um, where are we with the W Series right now, uh, Sarah? Yeah, so as of today, the CEO of the W Series has come out and said that she's, quote, pretty confident um, that they'll be able to overcome these issues and stage the the final couple of races. I wouldn't say that's emphatic. Um, she also said that if the money did not arrive by next week, then they wouldn't be able to start thinking about the 2023 season. So this is really on the line for them. And essentially what happened was that there had been a deal signed. Um, it was backed out of by the other party. We don't know who that is, but the money did not come through. And essentially that's where all of this kind of reporting then came from. And 
it did put, you know, it put kind of a downer on the weekend and, mm. and it was their first time racing in Singapore. And I think it was a real shame, you know, there were, there wasn't even any TV coverage of the practice session on Friday, even live at the track, mm. um, which, you know, is not, is not a good sign. And I think if it were to fail now, it would be a really big shame. It would. One of the big headlines that has come out of this weekend, let's focus on the on track from the W Series point of view and the, the driver that we've talked or you've talked about and talked up extensively, Jamie Chadwick having an unusual and un, un, unfortunate, let's be honest about it, in the final laps of the race. And I saw it happen. Her first D, uh, did DNF of her career? Yeah, it was her first DNF um, in the W Series. And that's, well, firstly, a huge achievement, I think, mm. on its own. Um, but yeah, it was a real shame. And, you know, she put her hand up afterwards and said, sorry to the team. You know, that was that was completely my fault. She could have taken the championship this weekend, so I think it was definitely a big disappointment for her. Um, the race was eventually won by Bitskibisser, who that was her first win of the season. So, you know, equally good to see someone else on the yes. podium. I think it's good for the sport, you know, a couple of different bases. So, again, I suppose all of this is, we would probably be talking about this very differently if we were sure that it was going to continue beyond, mm. you know, last weekend. But I think given that we don't know the answer to that right now, it's really hard to say where this is going to go from here. And the only thing I will say is that there has been a, a big kind of outpouring of support for the W Series. And, you know, if enough people up there push their hands in their pockets, I think it could absolutely be saved. Um, but it's just a case of whether people are willing to invest and whether they think that the direction that the series is going in is is the right one. Yeah, really disappointing and worrying news. But hopefully, as we said, if they're pretty confident they can get some more investment, we might see the end of the season and even into next season. As we said, the outpouring of interest and I think worry about the fact that it might go by the wayside uh, might instigate some further investment. We'll have to wait and see. We finished this week's segment with uh, an update on the 2022 driver standings. Max Verstappen, amazingly, is still in front on 341 points, well out ahead of second place. Charles Leclerc, who's only two points ahead of Sergio Perez in the Red Bull following his success in Singapore. George Russell, and Carlos Sainz Jr. round off the top five and in the constructors it's all but done or is it? Oh it is uh, Red Bull 576 points Ferrari 439 Mercedes now uh, in third place 373 well ahead of McLaren who are holding off Alpine by a mere four points and just a final word Sarah for you this week uh, we head to Japan and Suzuka really fast uh, very interesting track always um, with the news that Verstappen will be champion if he wins the race and he gets the fastest lap what are you hoping for from this weekend and what kind of what kind of uh, resistance do you think you'll see from Mercedes and Ferrari if any I wonder if it'll be a sort of all hands to the pump situation mm. you know with the way um, they brought uh, Mercedes brought George Russell in you know uh, late in the game yesterday to put on those soft tyres and, and sneak away that fastest lap point as well I think we could well see a couple of teams just kind of throw everything at it and I think that's you know that's how that's how it goes that's the the competition of it um I think Max definitely absolutely has it in him I think there's been a couple of points made this week that you know it would be it'd be a bit of a disappointment for the rest of the season if it were to finish so early it kind of takes Mm. a bit of the bite out of it but you know he's going to be gunning for it 100% 
Indeed he is. And uh, let's hope uh, we have some more, even more positive news coming out of that race and off the Suzuka track. It's always a, a fun Grand Prix to watch. And I'm certainly looking forward to it. Max Verstappen may well be crowned champion. If not, we will go another few weeks. But uh, I think the inevitable is, is on the way. It's a question of, question of when, not if, with Max at this stage. Once again, Sarah, thanks very, very much for your expertise this week on the Big Red Bench. Where can we find you online? Yeah, so um, YouTube, you can search Sarah McKenzie F1 and then I'm MacTweets underscore on Twitter and MacGram underscore on Instagram. Excellent stuff. We'll talk next week and review the Japanese Grand Prix here on The Big Red Bench. But for now, Sarah McKenzie, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, sir. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. I was delighted to be joined on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast by Irish under-20 international and Singleton Super Value Brunel basketball star Lauren Homan. Brunel defeated DCU Mercy 102-101 after overtime in last weekend's opening round of the Women's Super League clash. Lauren landed the buzzer-beating overtime-winning basket and spoke to me about her new head coach, her club's hopes for the coming season, and forcing her way into Irish senior basketball selection contention. Now, delighted to be joined here on the Big Red Bench by Singleton Super Value Brunel and Irish uh, basketball player Lauren Homan who had a very exciting opening weekend of the new basketball women's super league season Lauren you're very welcome to the big red bench thanks for having me there yeah it's lovely to talk to you again um right I, I was alluding to there that Singleton Super Value Brunel got off to a winning start in the women's super league this past weekend but you needed overtime to see off DCU Mercy 102 to 101 um, and uh, it sounds like it was a very, very exciting game and a, <laughs> an exciting start to the new season. Is that a fair point? Yeah, it was very exciting. DC Rob is a very tough team with great Irish players and their pros that they bring in. And we were really looking forward to getting the season started after all our preseason games and training. And I don't think we could have started any better. Um, it was a very exciting game for us and the fans and glad we'd come out on top of it. Yes, uh, good to have the fans back as well. Something we've been taking for granted, uh, obviously post COVID, um, had that experience and that atmosphere back in the parochial hall, which you had last Sunday. Uh, you're being very modest as well because it, it was your uh, buzzer-beating drive, basically, that ensured that you got over the line in that game. Um, yeah, I was delighted to be the one to get it in the end, but it was a complete team effort. Um, all the girls had to come together to push us over the line to get us to overtime. And it was great to on top in the end. Yeah, this DCU Mercy team, as you said, they were obviously very, very strong this year and uh, really put it up to you. But getting off to a winning start, how important is it, Lauren, especially, as you said, after everything that you go through in, in, in pre-season and everything building up to it, like to get that winning start, uh, it gives you a bit of momentum. Yeah, it's really important to get a winning start. It sets the tone for the rest of the season. And next week, we're away all the way to Belfast. So that'll be a tough game as well. And when the season starts, it goes really quickly. So it's important to set the tone and get off to a good start the way we did. Good stuff. You have a new head coach this year uh, from Castle Island, Liam Cullity. When did he come in and how has pre-season gone for him and for you? So Liam came in right after he came back from the under-18 European Championship. So he brings a lot of experience from the international front. And... He's been great. He brought a new perspective to the team and it's been amazing for pre-season and the games and I'm glad we could get the win for him yesterday. 
Yeah, and you've experienced, you mentioned there his experience with the under-18s. You've been involved with the under-20s this past uh, summer. You've moved up to the top uh, the top rank now, the Division A, I think, of that particular international group. Um, you were in Hungary. How much benefit have you gotten from the experience of being involved with the Irish under-20s? I think it was an amazing experience. There were very tough games. We were playing against professional players in Division A. But I think it's given me a lot of confidence after coming back from there to bring in to Brunel now this season that I mightn't have had last season. And it's given me much more experience um, going forward. Yes, there's quite a number of young players in this Brunel setup as well. Like, and it's it's very very competitive in the women's Super League in Ireland. It get it seems to be getting more and more competitive. There's a lot more coverage as well, uh, Lauren, not just with ourselves here on on Red FM, but obviously with the new basketball online channel, as uh, teenage year getting behind it and showing the finals when they come about as well live on TV. Do you feel, even though you're still kind of new to the senior side of it, that there seems to be a lot more eyeballs on women's basketball more than ever before? Yeah, I think there's much more coverage going on now and this season Basketball Ireland are after launching Basketball Ireland TV so all the games from all the top leagues are um, streamed online and they've um, made a stats app as well for everything to be followed so I think there's much more coverage and the game can only grow from this. The stats app might be a problem though because your coach will be able to see the good, the bad and the ugly, will he not? (laughs) Yeah, he'll be able to see everything. (laughs) Well, you'll be able to see quite some favourable ones from yourself this past weekend, as we said. Singleton Super Value Brunel defeating DCU Mercy in the Women's Super League opener at the Parochial Hall, 100-201 after overtime. Um, you have two Americans uh, involved with you this year um, as well from overseas. Uh, Lauren, obviously they're going to take a bit of time to find their feet, but how have they settled in and um, what are they like? No, Mary and Michaela have been um, brilliant since they've come in. Mary's a, a post player and we need that presence within the group and Michaela is an amazing shooter and the two girls have brought a new breath of fresh air to the team and they're two lovely girls so they're great to have in the team this year How are they dealing with the Cork accent? <laughs> um, they're okay we talk a bit fast with them so we have to slow down sometimes <laughs> I was going to suggest a Castle Island accent as well from Mr. Cullity. It might take a bit of getting used to as well. So, But it seems like yeah. they're acclimatising well. But you know, Lauren, because you've seen, you know, American players, foreign players coming into the Women's Super League. Um, it do, it takes time to find your feet. It takes time to deliver. Um, but it sounds like they've settled in and that's half the battle. Yeah, exactly. The game is played different here. Different rules, like the rest call different calls. So it does take time. Uh, for the girls to settle in, but they've done fabulous since they've been here. Excellent stuff. From your own point of view, Lauren, like your own personal goals for the coming year, obviously, how far do you think Super Value Brunel can go this year? And on the international front, what are you hoping to achieve? Uh, this year, I'm hoping that we can go one step further. Like we came up short in a few things last year. We came second in the league and we were runners up in the Champions Trophy. But with the group we've got, I think we can go one step further. I win trophies this year and on the international front um, hopefully in the near future I'll try and make the senior team that will be the goal Excellent well you're certainly well on the way Might I? can I mention the word Glanmire I mean you mentioned I wasn't going to bring it up but coming up short last season um, on those two big trophies but are Glanmire the big challenge again this year? Yeah Glanmire are always um, a huge challenge they always have a great team league and Mark is a great coach and it's great to be playing in them derby games so I'm looking forward to that fixture as well. 
Very well put uh, and very, very honest of you. Just finally, you're a UCC commerce student. Um, how are you finding the balance between, you know, being in, you know, being a student, obviously, and everything that comes with that and also playing basketball? I mean, your time is obviously very precious when you're if when you're not playing basketball, you need to study and you need to attend the college. But how have you found how have you found the balance? I know you're in your third year now. Um, the balance is grand at the moment. We've only started back, so the workload isn't that much. But coming up to Christmas now, when the games are piling up, and the workload will be piling up as well for exams, and then the cup games will be coming up. It might be a bit hard, but it'll be fine. I I normally get both of them done, so I put preference on what needs to be focused on at the time. So it'll be grand. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Very well said. A very positive outlook on it all, Lauren. Um, listen, thank you very, very much for joining us. Singleton Super Value, Super Brunel uh, basketball player, Lauren Holman and Irish Under-20 International. We wish you well for the rest of the season and we'll check in at some point to see how things are going with you. Thanks a million, Joe. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. AFLW expert and Aussie rules coach Mike Curran is back on the Big Red Bench to review the latest round of matches from AFLW Season 7.0. We have all the latest news on the Irish players and how they fared in Round 6, plus all the latest AFLW Irish Player of the Year standings. Here's Mike. Now, round six of the AFLW season 7.0 is in the books. Loads of headlines, lots of good positive stories coming as well from the Irish contingent down under. So there's only one man to talk to, and that is the AFLW Ireland. Uh, Mike Curran, coach of the stars and AFLW expert. Mike, how are you? Very good, Joe. We're past the halfway stage now, so every game is, uh, is important at this stage and the excitement is building. Where does the time go? I do not know, uh, but yeah, you're right. We are in round six of ten, so a lot of uh, a lot of big matches coming up over the next few weeks, and we'll cover them all here on the Big Red Bench on our AFLW segment with Mike every week here on the Women in Sport podcast. Let's start. Last Friday, two matches. Uh, sorry, one match or two matches last Friday. Sorry, two big matches as well. But let's start with Hawthorne and the Hawks uh, coming up with a 44-41 victory over West Coast and uh, a big night for Ani McDonough. This was a brilliant night for the Hawks again. They're going to love Friday night. This is the second Friday night in a row they've got a win. That's two wins in two weeks for Hawthorne. They had the first ever win last week. They backed it up here with a really good win over West Coast Eagles. Now it was close, there's no doubt about it, but it was brilliant for them to get the win. There was only three points in it in a game that ran right down to the wire with huge excitement. Um, There was a strong wind at the start of this game and the Eagles actually flew ahead with a four-goal lead in the first quarter. And the Hawks must have been thinking deja vu because the exact same thing happened last week where they went four goals down. But there was a master stroke at quarter time from coach Beck Goddard who actually put Jess Duffin, one of her key defenders and is actually previously an All-Australian defender from when she played for North Melbourne up front. She kicked three goals in the second quarter which actually saw the Hawks ahead at half time. And from then on, it was really a case of who could manage that win better and it turned out that that was the Hawks and they did that in style and they also turned up the pressure gauge and they were definitely helped in no certain terms by that goal from Anya McDonough. Absolutely brilliant. First ever AFLW goal for Anya McDonough in only her second or third game. So that received a huge response from the players on the field and from the spectators and that was brilliant. And in terms of the other Irish on the field, Aileen Gilroy, again, outstanding. Like It's week on week at this stage now for Hawthorne. She was the best on ground. She's received seven coaches' votes for that game. She's our AFLW Ireland Irish Player of the Year, which we'll touch on a bit later for round six. And just week in, week out now, uh, 15 disposals again, 10 tackles. Quickly on her way, I think, to becoming the Hawthorne's best and fairest player, the way she's playing at the minute. 
uh, outstanding. And then on the Eagles side, of course, um, they'll be disappointed with the loss, but Ash McCarthy, again, was steady as always amongst the Eagles' best players. 14 disposals, five tackles for her on the night. Um, consistently good as always. But yeah, what a way to start the round. A huge win for Hawthorne. Yes, and the good news for Hawthorne as well is that they're up to eight points in the ladder right now and they're joined by one, two, three, four, five other clubs. So it's getting very, very, whatever about the top, it's getting very, very tight for that those last one or two top eight positions. And the Hawks, after a very, very slow start, are starting to pick up momentum. And it's just fantastic to see Arnie McDonough get her first goal, as you said. And let's hope the Hawks can keep that momentum going. The other game last Friday in round six, which was the good for footy round, which I absolutely love as a marketing ply, by the way. 20,652 people were in the Adelaide Oval to witness Port Adelaide defeated by Adelaide 63 points to 3. Now it was a pretty much you know an absolute it was a, it was a massacre let's put it let's be honest about it like from Adelaide's point of view but while we, while we talk about that match and the result and the significance of it Mike an update on Claire's Eilish Consolent and Mayo's Neve Kelly as well in their injury situations. Yeah of course it was the first ever showdown there was no Irish players on show this weekend, so we're still waiting on the return of both Ailish Constein and Neve Kelly um, to the fitness and to the and to the starting lineup. Hopefully, the last update was that they were about a round or two away, and that was earlier in the week. So potentially, they could be back in action, possibly by round seven, if not round eight. But hopefully, we see them both back in action, and because we'd love to see them back in the close colours. But yeah, this was the first ever showdown. That's a big deal up in Adelaide, and you can see that by the crowd that turned up, and that was absolutely fantastic to see that turnout. But it really was the Crows who stamped their authority on this one. Earlier in the week, the Port Adelaide captain, who is Aaron Phillips, of course, formerly a Crow legend, three-time premiership player, one of the greatest players ever to play the game. She transferred over to Port Adelaide. She's the captain. She tried to inject a bit of fire into it by saying when the ball goes up, there's no friends and all that. But in reality, it was the Crow's captain, Chelsea Randall, who was the standout player on the night. She had three goals, 27 disposals. She won the inaugural showdown medal, absolutely led from the front. But look, the Crows were scoring at ease. And in fact, if they'd been a bit more accurate in front of goal, the tally would have been a much worse. They, they scored 15 behinds, eight goals, 15 behinds. So um, it's also the second week in a row that they haven't conceded a goal. And it's now the fifth week in a row that they've won. So Adelaide Crows are absolutely fine. But look, poor Adelaide battled right to the end. Uh, but the more experienced Crows, they're dominated. Absolutely, they did. But isn't it just refreshing to see over 20,000 people there at that and the interest levels there in that part of the world? Hopefully that can be sustained over the coming years when Port improve as time goes on. We move on to Saturday, October the 1st and a slate of games that after that on that particular date that began with the Greater Western Sydney Giants bouncing back from a very, very tough defeat the previous week to overcome Carlton uh, by 29 points to 12. Now, Coruscantin played a crucial role, but no um, breed stack this week, Mike. No, no breed stack. That Breed was replaced actually just the day before the game with a calf strain that she picked up in training. It's nothing serious. I was on to her. She'll be back in action uh, next weekend, but she did miss out on this one. But look at the Giants needed a response. We talked about mm. last weekend the drubbing they got at the hands of the Crows. And in fairness, they stood up and they delivered. They worked and tackled ferociously for the whole game and they came away with a 17-point win over Carlton, which in in essence keeps the season alive for the Giants, I suppose. Um, the game's... Two historically goal kickers were in action here. We had opposite ends of the ground. Darcy Vessio for Carlton, who's on a career high of 55 goals going into the game. And of course, we had Cora Staunton, who you've, who you've mentioned on 52 goals going into the game. But it was the Irish superstar, Cora Staunton, who was more impressive. She kicked two critically important goals. So that's 
brought her to within one goal of the overall total there now just one behind but it was more so her physical work her work rate she was rocking she was doing everything that was a huge contribution to the win and she was amongst the Giants best on ground without question Indeed she was and it's great to see great to see her uh, playing so well and at a consistently high level still even at this uh, this part of her career. We move on now to the Western Bulldogs in Geelong and I suppose look there's a simple one-liner to lead into this one. This was an absolute cracker decided by a late score 37-36 in favour of the Cats taking down the Bulldogs um, and I suppose as well uh, from that point of view Mike great to see such a tight game because you don't often see them as tight as this in AFLW um, but this one was well received by the supporters in attendance. It was, and in fairness, most of the games on Saturday turned out to be dingers. Mm. There was literally a point or two within most of them, but this was a thrilling win for the Cats. Look at it, just a single point in the end, as you said, and they had led by 19 points early in the final quarter, so they were, they were standing on their nerves by the end of it with the Bulldogs coming, charging back with three goals, but they just left it a little bit too late and Geelong got over the line there. So that's the first time the Cats have ever beaten the Bulldogs in AFLW, and bear in mind they also did it without their star midfielder Georgie Perspakis, who's banned now for two games so a great result but both teams are now on four wins and two losses and both teams find themselves in the final eight after the weekend in position six and seven so they'll both be very happy with that Yes, indeed they will. And as we said, that we'll look at the ladder right at the end, like, but it's, things are getting very, very tight as we head towards the business end of the season. Now, Sarah Rowe. Just one more, Jerry. Oh, yeah? It's worth mentioning on that one, how good is it? Rachel Cairns is back on the field training yes. last week, right? And this is a girl who had a horrific shoulder injury only a few rounds ago, and most people would have thought her season was done and dusted, but her rehab is flying. She was back out in the pitch doing ball work. Uh, I was actually chatting to her mom, Angela, a couple of days ago, and she reckons Rachel could be back within a week or two playing wow. competitively again. So that is something I don't think we would have seen, but how great would it be if Rachel does make it back and gets to play in some of the later rounds of Home and Away? So that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's great news and unexpected news. Sorry, I, didn't know, I wasn't aware of that. Like, I mean, that is a very, very quick turnaround on that prognosis with her shoulder because it, it was quite a serious injury, um, much like Orlo Dwyer's one, right? It was. And look, I would have thought it was season-ending and then... Mm. They do an injury update every week and um, I think it was last week Geelong had her down at 8 to 10 weeks and then you're going, okay, well, 8 to 10 weeks if they got to the final, that potentially would mean she's still involved. Like, they're they're not writing her off and then to get that update during the week where they had her pictured out at training on the Oval and as I say, just chatting with her mam, who thinks she feels herself that she'll be back within a week or two, Rachel does. That's absolutely brilliant. So it would be a, a huge boost for Geelong and fantastic for all the fans here at home to see Rachel back in action at any stage, but the sooner the better. Brilliant stuff. Well, we wish her all the best with that rehab and hopefully, as you said, we'll see her sooner rather than later. It, it, the prognosis sounds very, very positive for now. Let's move on to that next game that I just mentioned there as well. Collingwood, um, uh, inspired by a Sarah Rowe goal, overcoming uh, St Kilda. Now St Kilda gave it... Gave, put it up to them in a game that I expected Collingwood to win quite easily Mike but they won by two points in the end 36-34 they did it was close another nail biter Saints almost pulled off an upset here but the Magpies held out Collingwood actually sealed it with a last gasp thriller goal from Elisa James who's celebrating her 19th birthday on the day so fantastic for her but of course one of the main talking points of the game was a miss from St Kilda's Nick Stevens. the Saints were seven points up at one stage late in the game she should have sealed it. She ran through on goal on her own, but she missed from literally a couple of metres out after running through. So that's one that her, the Saints, won't want to watch again, but it's likely that it's one of those clips that won't go away, unfortunately. But look, at from there in, um, as you say, Magpies got over the line and they actually um, 
helped in no uncertain terms by that goal by Sarah Rowe and that's worth mentioning as well of course that's Sarah Rowe's first goal of the season and um, she had a good game in the centre and on the other side then for St Kilda we had Clara Fitzpatrick reliable as always in defence Excellent stuff. The final game on Saturday evening saw the Tigers uh, defeat the Gold Coast Suns 23-19 and jump into the top eight in the ladder and uh, leave Gold Coast Suns behind them. So a crucial win considering those two teams were so close together um, in the standings, Mike. Uh, but it took a late, late goal to do that. Yeah, look at again, going into this game, these these teams are pretty well balanced, you would have thought, and that's the way it turned out. Just a four-point win in the end for Richmond Tigers, 23-19. But this is four in a row now for the Tigers. They're on some run, four wins in a row. They came from behind to beat the Suns in this game as well. So they're absolutely flying it. Of course, coming into this game, the Suns were coming off two wins in a row as well. So they were in a rich frame of form as well. And they had led for most of this game right into the second half. But it was Richmond who nicked the wind in the end and they find themselves in the, the top eight. Now, there was a little bit of controversy over their quarter three goal, which appeared to have been touched as it crossed the line. Uh, it wasn't, there was no facility to review it um, at the match and it was allowed to stand and potentially it should have not. Mm. But um, nonetheless, the result stands. Uh, this was a game where space and time were scarce and there was an incredible 153 combined tackles in this one. But drama right to the very end and a great win for Richmond, as I say, four in a row. Yeah, just before we move off it, I actually saw highlights of this particular game and I had read that like it was a tough physical battle and that's putting it mildly. There was nobody holding back in this at all because it was such a crucial game, as we said. They're so close together in the ladder and the fact now um, that following that result that the, the Tigers have opened up a four-point gap, this could be a turning point for them in the season. I don't think they're going to go on and win it or anything, but for the latter stages and the knockout stages, a big, big win. Oh, for sure. And look, at everybody's jostling for position at this stage now. Every point is is critical. Every win is critical. But even scoring and scoring percentages are becoming critical now in terms of, uh, as you say, there's a gaggle of teams on the same points there. So they're only separated by scoring percentages. So every game from here on in, there's a lot of teams still in the shout to get into the eight. And there's a lot of teams battling. So from a spectator point of view, it's brilliant because there's actually value in every game. And every game is supremely competitive at this stage of the season. Indeed they are. We move on to Sunday and the final three matches and they began on Sunday with uh, the Brisbane Lions maintaining their imperious form at the top of the ladder with a 62-18 defeat of the Essendon Bombers, Mike. And in that, we had a few Irish players involved, but once again, one name rising to the top and you're going to explain why Orla O'Dwyer um, had such a fantastic game again in the Lions uh, jersey. They, they did. And look, in fairness, all the Irish players were great. Like, Essendon didn't score at all in this game in the first half and they should have been dead and buried by halftime but the Lions kicked three goals 12 behinds so again a bit of inaccurate shooting there by the Lions but otherwise the game would have been a total wipeout we did expect a backlash we knew it was coming obviously the Lions had a shock loss the previous week um, so they came out firing although slightly misfiring in terms of, of, of scoring but look they defied that inaccuracy to hold on for an emphatic win they had 14 inside 50s to one in the first quarter alone, which showed there were no mood for a close contest. But look, again, to Essendon's credit, the Iron Expansion team, they kept fighting. They got three second-hand goals, the first of which was scored by none other than Joanne Doonan. So brilliant for the Irish there. Joanne Doonan's first ever AFLW goal as well, and she performed very well. Um, Megan Ryan also made an appearance for Essendon, and she did some good work in the Rook. She had a number of hit-outs there. But yeah, again, probably pick of the Irish in this one was Orla O'Dwyer, even though she did pick up a slight knock to her knee which hampered her game time but that's all fine she's good to go again and she's straight back into training on it but yeah um, consistently brilliant as always 
Indeed, and that's, that, that says it best consistently. Brilliant. Good, good win for Brisbane and they are top of that ladder alongside the Adelaide Crows, Melbourne and Collingwood and Melbourne are there because they overcame Frio uh, 66-36 at the Fremantle Community Bank Oval on the same Sunday, Mike, and a, a day with four Irish players involved. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. This was the game that had the most Irish involvement of the round. It was an enthralling battle right through. There was only five points in it at three quarters time and it was only in the, the final quarter that Melbourne pulled away kicking four goals. So that's five wins now for Melbourne and as you say, they joined Brisbane, Adelaide, Collingwood all on five wins each. That's an impressive looking top four. But Fremantle really came out fighting here. The pressure was high from the offset. They dominated, dominated Melbourne with their speed in patches in the game and most particularly in that third quarter. But that effort seemed to see them run out of steam a little bit in the last quarter and Melbourne finished with a flurry as we've seen them do many times before they've put teams to the sword in that final quarter in terms of those four Irish players on show for the Melbourne we had Sinead Goldrick back playing absolutely brilliant as well great to see her back in defence she had 10 disposals for the night but Critically, a number of those were in the final quarter when the game was still in the melting pot. Blaine Mackin was back again. Very solid game for her. She's flying and very consistent. And then over on the Dockers side, Anya Tai. Anya scored a brilliant goal. She was named amongst the Dockers best on ground. Um, she is now one of their leader standout players at this stage. And it's fantastic to see that. And we're delighted for her after the journey she's been on. And of course, Orla Lally now, in her new role as a forward, had another brilliant game. So that's two weeks in a row. Uh, she had four contested marks. So she has found her strength and that's contested marking. And I think Docker is going to keep her up in the half-hour line because she's able to win those contested balls and keep the ball in the Docker's attack. But she's actually absolutely flourishing as well, which is brilliant. Excellent stuff. The final game from round six this past weekend. Um, obviously, once again, we're talking about the North Melbourne Kangaroos and their ascension up the ladder. An absolute hammering dished out to un- hapless Sydney is the only way I can describe it. 67 points to one uh, in a game that was moved because of the poor weather from the Arden Street Oval. Um, what can you say about this? I mean, we can focus on the positives here of the Kangaroos, Mike, obviously. But for Sydney, this this is, this is a, a real, real setback. It is. Look, Kangaroos are always going to win this one, but I suppose we didn't want to see them storm into a record win. As a bit of a side story to this game, the the North former North coach Scott Gowns is now the head coach of Sydney Swans, and he was let go from North when COVID hit, despite having a really decent record down there. Mm. Uh, but look, that was a side story to the game. It didn't impact it at all, unfortunately. Kangaroos midfield absolutely dominated. Sydney were constantly under pressure uh, in possession and some poor decision-making, which we've kind of seen evident throughout their game so far. But we have to remember they are an expansion team. They haven't been together for very long. But unfortunately, after the weekend, they now are the only AFLW team without a win this season. So I think we'd all like to see them get a result over the next few weeks um, and hopefully get up for a win. But in terms of kangaroos, Actually, in front of the goal is going to be the main area they're going to be looking at. Again, nine goals, but 13 behind. So they only got nine goals from 22 scoring shots. Solid games from our two Irish kangaroos. Again, Vicky Wall, very consistent. Ten disposals, five tackles. Her tackle work is unreal week in, week out. Eric O'Shea, the same off half back. Eight disposals, three tackles. Both those players look like they've been playing for years. They're instant names on the Melbourne team sheet and that's a fantastic achievement given the amount of time they've been over there but yeah a brilliant win for North 
Yes, very much so. And uh, rounding off a fantastic week again in round six. As we said, we're heading now into the real uh, nitty gritty in the business end with only four rounds of the regular season remaining. A lot of jostling for positions to come in the coming weeks. As well as that, the AFLW Irish Player of the Year standings. Round six, Aileen Gilroy won with 84 points. Ashley McCarthy, Joanne Doon and Vicky Wall correspond to Norland Alley completing the top six there, Mike. But no surprise that Aileen finished because of her performance with 84 points. No, look, again, she was the standout player this week, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, she's brilliant for Hawthorne. She's actually flourishing in, in her new role in her new club. It's brilliant to see. She's loving it. She's enjoying it. She's become an instant team leader. Everything, I suppose, that Hawthorne would have hoped for when they signed her there. So, yeah, absolutely brilliant round again from Aileen. Indeed, and Aileen, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Aileen, because of that, has moved up to second in the overall standings on 365 points, just ahead of Orla Dwyer, who's in third on 215, and the top six are rounded off by Anya Tighe. Vicky Wall, Cora Staunton, but way out in front still, Ashley McCarthy and her consistent season is being rewarded here by being the overall Irish Player of the Year, AFLW Irish Player of the Year in the standings, Mike. And again, no surprise with the level of consistency she's delivering. No, it's from round one right through to round six, she's been brilliant. And I, I know, obviously, personally, she'd like the results to be going a bit better for West Coast. But personally, she's outstanding. And she has been the leader from the start. We mentioned last week there'd be a bit of movement in this top six. And there was a bit of jumping in position there. Gilroy's up to second. Ordo Dwyer, Anya Tai, Vicky Wall and Cora Staunton now is into the top six this week as well. Uh, deservedly so. So... Uh, a brilliant list and there's still potential for Ashling to be caught but if she keeps fit and healthy and playing as well as she's playing she'd be the hot favourite at this stage but anything can happen over four weeks as we well know Oh do we what um, that's it for round six in the round up in the AFLW Ireland uh, overall standings that we've just gone through there with Mike obviously there's a full slate of games in round seven next week before I let you go Mike um, I want to talk about one game that's coming up next week and that is Brisbane Lions and the North Melbourne Kangaroo so Vicky Wall and Eric O'Shea up to fifth in the ladder at the moment but this is a real test for both. Well, it's a real test for Brisbane but it's a serious test for Kangaroos looking for their fourth win on the bones, and to me, it's the standout fixture of round seven. It definitely is. Look at a, a win here for either of those teams, shove them further up those final position standings, and kind of secures it a bit more. It's going to be a cracker of a game. Both teams are in top form. Um, North are well able to put it up to Brisbane Lions. The game is in Melbourne. There's still debate over whether Arden Street will be ready to go because of the condition of that pitch, but it will be in Melbourne somewhere. So the Lions are travelling. But that would seem to be the pick of the round and definitely can't wait to see the Irish players on view there. Yes, indeed. And can't wait to hear your analysis, assessment and updates on all things AFLW on next week's Big Red Bench. For now, Mike Coran of AFLW Ireland. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Jerry. Talk to you then. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Munster Hockey PRO Graham Catchball is back on the Big Red Bench. Firstly, to talk about a fantastic new three-year partnership just announced between Munster Hockey and UCC. Graham also reviews the opening rounds of Hockey Ireland's Munster Women's Hockey Division 1 and much more. Now, the new hockey season is back up and running. Uh, but before we talk about results and tables and fixtures and how the Munster women's hockey teams are doing, we have some fantastic news. And we're delighted to welcome Munster Hockey PRO Graham Catchball back to the show to talk about a fantastic new Munster Hockey and UCC Partnership Announcement. First of all, Graeme, it's good to have you back on the Big Red Bench. How are you? Great, sir. Thanks for having me again. 
Yeah, lovely to talk to you. And lovely to talk to you with such positive news because uh, yourselves, Monster Hockey and UCC have just announced a partnership agreement um, where UCC at University College Cork will become the primary sponsor of Monster Hockey's interprovincial teams after signing a three-year agreement. It represents a big coup for yourselves and it comes in the provinces under-16s and under-18s who've recently kicked off their interprovincial campaigns. Um, first of all, Graham, congratulations to Monster Hockey. This is fantastic news. A three-year partnership with UCC. First of all, how delighted are you to have UCC on board? And second of all, just how will this partnership work? It's absolutely brilliant news for, for Monster Hockey. Um, it's uh, it's a deal that I suppose has been kind of in, maybe in the mix for the last year or two. I suppose COVID has maybe delayed it a small bit. But when now that it's over the line, we're, we're absolutely delighted to have such a, I suppose, a high-profile uh, sponsor on board. And you know, UCC, I suppose, with its with its high, you know, world class facilities and um, everything else that they bring to the partnership, it's 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 a really big scoop for 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 Munster hockey. So we're we're all delighted with it. Yes, and as you said, at a time coming out of COVID, when a lot of sports organisations are looking for partnerships, looking for sponsorships, but specifically, excuse me, partnerships, um, having somebody like UCC Sport and UCC on board with you, as you said, is is a real boost, um, and and a real for your interprovincials, and certainly for interprovincial players and your teams, uh, very very important as well, because that's a huge uh, element of some of your players' development. Yeah, absolutely. It, it it gives, I suppose, Munster Hockey a base as well as Munster. Um, so I suppose before, you know, the teams would be, you know, very much uh, going around the Munster pitches, training. Uh, but this gives them a, a base. And, and not only that, I suppose, it does give them access to, to other um, expertise that UCC would would um, would have in-house, you know, in their, their sports science and their the high performance, nutrition, you know, sports psychologists. All this um, comes into play as part, as part of the partnership as well. So um, it's a really big coup, um, not just for the facilities, but also for the, um, I suppose, the, their expertise, as I say, as well. So it's fantastic to, to have them on board at Monster Hockey. Yes, and congratulations to everybody at Monster Hockey and well done to UCC and UCC Sport for coming on board with this partnership um, to help with the interprovincial teams from the province. And with that in mind, Graham, um, it has been a busy time, uh, both for this, uh, for, sorry, not just for both, but for the un- under-16, Munster women's under-16 interpros, the under-18s and the under-21s um, who have been involved uh, at the beginning of this month now um, in the first round or second round, in some cases, of the interprovincials uh, competitions. First of all, let's talk about the under 18s because they've gotten off to a fantastic start. Yeah, absolutely. So the the, the under 18s, I suppose, are two games in at this point, and um, they have taken maximum points. Um, last weekend, they had a, a, a very impressive win um, away to a, a strong Leinster side. They won, they won the game 2 0. Um, and that kind of, I suppose, backs up um, a home victory that they had against um, Leinster South. Um, so they're, they're, I think their next round of games, it, it won't be till the end of end of the month, so end of October. Um, but uh, yeah, looks really good for the under-18s, um, coached by Ivana Byrne. Um, they seem to be flying it at the moment. So really good news there. Excellent stuff. Now the under sixteens are in a very, very tough interprovincial group, um, and they've had it. They've had it tough in the first two rounds. But this is a young team and a developing team, and they'll be looking to kick on for the remainder of their interprovincial campaign. Yeah, the, the under sixteen age group is. It's, I suppose it's the first representative um, age group, and it's always a it's always a tricky one to bring. Um, you know, to, to bring a squad together at that age group because you're you're trialing um, girls from from all over the province. You know, you're 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 seeing hundreds of girls. 
and bringing them together for the first time is, is always a small bit tricky. Um, they have, you know, they they have performed well in the games. They just haven't. Cut, they've come out the wrong side of results um, against Leicester and Leicester South. So they have some other games coming up as well. They have to play Ulster and Connacht. So hoping for better results down the line. Yes, but as you said, uh, Graham, I suppose it's important to say it, specifically at under-16 because it's their first taste of interprovincial at the elite level. It's not really a results-driven business. You obviously want to win every game you go out and play um, and Munster hockey are no different. But I suppose the real key here, and you can see it in the under-18 performances and results now, two years down the line, is blooding these players, first of all, and showing them what it's all about and worrying about results later on. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it is getting them into the the development programs and and ultimately it's 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 about getting getting these girls I suppose in a green jersey at the end of the day if we can so um that that is the ultimate goal of the interpose you know there's there's Irish squads picked out of these uh, interprovincial championships and um you know the, those girls obviously go out to represent um Ireland at underage level and you hope you hope down the line then that at, at senior level eventually so that's what it's all gone going towards I suppose so um yeah look, there's plenty of time ahead ahead for the under 16s and as you mentioned, like it really is about development at this point and, and, and rather than results. Excellent stuff. And just finally, just to touch on the under-21s, because again, they've only played one match thus far, but I suppose the key thing here for under-21s is they've been through the Interprovincial Munster Women's Hockey Academy and Pathway. Is it at this point, Graham, that like players are looking to get noticed at international level, much like you mentioned previously, but specifically with, with an eye on the seniors down the line and, and, making, and trying to push their way into the Irish setup? That's that's exactly it. So so I suppose the under twenty one tournament would actually it would actually ex- exclude some of the current internationals from the from the panel. So, uh, for example, um, the UCC's captain Kuiper Purdue wouldn't be involved in the under twenty ones because she's already part of the the senior senior panel. Um, so um, yeah, it it really is about you know um, catching those players. I suppose that are are still um, you know have that potential to to kick on. Um, a bit, I suppose, a bit later, maybe, and and um, you know, make it make a senior panel eventually. So, yeah, it's it, it's a as I said, it's a smaller tournament, but it's um, nonetheless very very important for the girls involved. And you'll see throughout the panel, you know, it's a good representation from UCC. So tying in nicely, I suppose, with that sponsorship there as well. Yes, uh, very true, actually. And this is where the sponsorship and the partnership with UCC and having the base, as you said, and just having the facilities and, as you said, the access to all the things that UCC will bring to the table is really good news for Munster. And we wish you and we wish UCC all the best in that three-year partnership. Now, to domestic matters. And in the Munster Women's Division 1, it's still early days, but after three rounds of games in the league table, I look at it and I see UCC on nine points, Church of Ireland on nine points, Ashton doing quite well on six points, Cork Harlequins and Bandon, uh, with one win from their three games thus far, I suppose without going into two specifics, uh, because it's still very early days, uh, Graham, it is positive to see so many kind of Cork clubs specifically um, doing quite well in this division. Yeah, it, it, it's been a, I suppose, a good start to the league for for the Cork clubs. You can see, as you said, UCC and CFI have a hundred percent record with with three wins under their belt so far. Um, I suppose if you're looking for kind of potential winners at the end of the day, I suppose at the start of the season you would have said it's going to be between UCC, uh, CFI, and 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 maybe Cork Harlequins for the for the for, for the title and also for maybe the EY spots. Um, I suppose the standout game to date was was Church of Ireland played against um, Harlequins um, uh, two weeks ago, and 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 Church of Ireland beat them three two, which is probably maybe a bit against the form book um, and, a, and a bit of a surprise but um, you know first blood to, to Church of Ireland I suppose in, 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 the, in the I suppose the title race 
Um, UCC have, I suppose, you know, won the one games that they probably would have expected to win, um, and and have put in some very good performances. So it'll be interesting when when these sides um, come around to meet again in a couple of weeks' time, and you know, we we really get a good measure, I suppose, by Christmas as to who will be the who will be the favourite. Excellent, yeah, excellent stuff. And um, look, uh, the big red bench will will keep tabs on all the Munster teams as they're going on throughout the season in the Munster Women's Division One. Um, of course, if you're looking for fixtures and results and statistics, uh, a really well uh, laid out and a very very slick MunsterHockey.ie website is where you need to go to get all that information. Um, it's great to see, as we said, a lot of positivity around Munster Women's Hockey right now, uh, Graham, and that's down to the organisation yourselves and your committee, and also UCC coming on board. So it's all positive, and we're going to keep tabs on how that season progresses might even get a few players from some of the clubs on as well to talk to us and see how they're getting on as the year goes on but for now uh, thanks very much uh, Graham Cashball PRO of Munster Hockey for joining us on the, this week's Big Red Bench and we hope to talk to you again really soon Brilliant Thanks Ger. The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm What a weekend of action we had in the Cork NGFA Senior Championships on Saturday at MTU, a triple header of county finals drew a huge crowd in which Mornabi became senior champions yet again, defeating the club they overcame last year, Aerog, in the senior decider. And immediately after that game, I heard from Mara O'Callaghan, Breed O'Sullivan and manager Shane Ronane, as well as Aerog manager Donald Cronin. We're also going to hear from Siobhan Courtney, Alice O'Driscoll and manager Dini Cahalan from Castlehaven following their intermediate county final, dramatic intermediate county final victory over Glanmire, which went to 25 metre freeze. And as well as that, you're about to hear from Neva Vaughan, the new county junior A champions, their captain. Una Tuig, their manager Noel McDonough and the manager of the team they beat in last Saturday's final, Derek Tobin of O'Donovan Rossa. I'm here with Maura Callan, the victorious Mornabi senior team who've just won the senior title once again, 3-12 to 13 Maura, congratulations but that was one tough final. Yeah Ger, it was really, really tough, we're just delighted to come out the right side of it, it was so tense from start to finish um, and we were dealing with Aero coming at us again and again, we were just trying to control the game, we said coming into it that if we could just hold the ball you know pick our moments get our scores because Aero play very defensively so look we're just delighted that they came off today and you know we got a bit of luck with a few green flags raised as well Laura Fitz won't like the headlines but a hat-trick it's something else and two very good penalties yeah yeah look I mean she's great at getting herself into the right positions and she's such a good brain for it so look we are so lucky that um, we got in inside for those penalties I suppose as you said but you know we are unlucky not to get them from play as well I suppose but look we're delighted we still got the scores on the board and just finally the hunger is still there the desire is still there clearly in this team to do it Munster Championship on the way now you must be thrilled uh, to look forward to that once again yeah we're absolutely thrilled you know there's a like new players coming into the mix each year so you know they really are good to bring in keep making sure we're still hungry going for it each year well done and congrats <laughs> thanks sir <laughs> Brito Sullivan hearty congratulations it's another one is there a league table with these successes in winning county titles or are they just sweeter every time you manage to achieve it <laughs> um, I suppose there's something different about everyone um, you know, there's always a different reason, you know, why we're celebrating. I think this year was a special year for us because we had so many players unavailable to us from last year's squad through retirements and different things. Um, so I suppose there was just that little bit of worry going in that it was a number of players first county, first senior county final. But um, I suppose, you know, they showed out there like the two Cronins, uh, Kate Williamson were three of our youngest players out there today and they were probably three of our best 
you know, so delighted for them. Um, and is that the secret of success now again that the younger players are coming in pushing the likes of yourselves, like the, should I say the experienced players who've been there and done that, but it's important that they experience days like today. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, they've had their own successes as well. Like they had a, a successful county campaign at under 16 level themselves. But, um, you know, looking to the future, um, some of us don't have many years left in us. So, you know, it's good to see that the um, conveyor belt is still running in Morabi. Well, congratulations and well done. Thanks a million. Uh, Shane Ronan, hearty congratulations. Another county senior title. There's no league table with these things. I assume they're sweet. They're the sweeter every time you win them. But you were pushed all the way today. Yeah, look, we were. But I suppose, look, Jarrah, look, before I go any further, um, uh, Anna Ryan, who played wing forward for us today, um, she buried her aunt this morning, um, Eileen Denny. So I look out on behalf of myself and the rest of the panel, uh, we want to send our condolences to Colette and her mother and uh, the whole family because it was very difficult for a young girl to come up and play a game after burning her aunt this morning. I thought she was outstanding the way she handled it. But uh, look, I think this is probably one of our sweetest ones ever because we looked at it during the week. We we used 18 players in the All-Ireland final last year. Six of them are gone. You know, we had three 16-year-olds starting today. Um, you know, they played for the county this year. They've been, they've been outstanding. You know, we lost Ashton Cronin there two weeks ago uh, with a crucial ligament. Our sister actually replaced her 18 and did a brilliant job as well today. So, look, we, we don't, uh, we really value today because it was, we knew what Aero were going to be. They're coming all the time. They were excellent. They've, been, they've had an excellent year. Um, you know, we, I suppose, took a, took a chance there a couple of weeks ago. We rested a few players because we've, look, I suppose we've, we've a lot of older players that we have to kind of look after. And, um, you know, I think, look, the, the fruits of that board today, we were able to, they were all, able to stay on for the full game so look but I think look at your Ogar coming team I think our crowd are the standard bearers they are you know um, I look at people might give out about them at, at times but I think you can but admire what they do all the time and I think look other teams are stepping up you see Ada were very good last week Bright Rovers they are look, I think it's up to the up to the rest of them you know to stand up and I think, but Aero have done that and Aero you know look maybe the scoreline wasn't reflective of, of how close the game was I suppose we were clinical we took a lot of our chances and, you know a couple of penalties were I suppose were vital and came a vital time so look we're delighted Joe. Um, just finally, Laura Fitzgerald, she won't want the headlines, but a hat trick and two converted penalties in the pressure cooker of a county final. It's not an easy thing to do. How glad we to see those goals go in early on. Oh, look, we, you know, we got a great start. Like, and we, we have been getting good starts in games, I suppose. And, uh, you know, we've we banged in two goals there. It was very, very important because they were all started very well. Yeah. But we, we had the cushion of a few points, like so. So, like, I think that's very, very important. And Fitzy, look, a fantastic player. Suffered, she was flying with Cock earlier on the year when she came back and got a bad knee injury there one night outside in Cladove. And I think that she, she, you know, probably would have featured for Cox during the summer if she hadn't. Um, and she, but she came back very determined. And I think, look, testament to our medical staff of, you know, of um, Laura Harrington, Sinead O'Regan and, and Will Toomey have been done brilliant with her. So, look, we're delighted with Fitzy. Excellent. Well done, boy. Congrats. Thanks very much, Jock. Uh, Donald Crone, I know it won't mean much to you or the players, but you're, 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 you've gotten so close to Warren Abbey now over the last couple of years. You're coming all the time. This is a really, really good and a developing team. Disappointment, obviously, to lose, but there is hope for the future. I sure listen, there's always hope, I suppose. Um, and, and yeah, there's always hope. And we are pushing and we are getting a bit closer, even though, again, we fell short today. Um, beaten by a better team, let there be no doubt about it. They, they really wanted it. They wanted every ball. Um, they, they, went, they went hard at it. And, and congratulations to Moran Abbey on a, on a, on a well-deserved victory. And, yeah. 
Very gracious of you. Just those two goals at the very start, they were killers, weren't they? Ah, sure, they were. Like, you know, you can't be giving them any um, opportunities and, and we knew they were going to go after us and I suppose, I don't know what happened with the penalty. I didn't see it properly. I don't know, was it a foot block or what was it? That was probably contentious, but it, it is what it is and the second one as well, you know, and goals win games and um, they got the goals and we didn't get the goals and that's the way it goes, isn't it? Thanks very much, Donald. Thanks, Thanks for all your help this year. Not at all. Thank you. Um, Siobhan Courtney, captain of Castlehaven, you are now a senior football club after less, after ten years in existence. How does that feel? Um, I mean, I don't think we could have um, asked for that when we started up the club. It's been it's a huge achievement. The work that's been put in at underage level and all the way up to the adults club, um, it's brilliant. As you can see from our support here today, the backing is behind us um, with the men's club, the underage, the support within the parish. It's all it's all building from that. There were times today when I thought the game had gone for me, but you never, ever stopped going. You never stopped trying, and it showed all that effort and all that effort that's come through the junior ranks. You know how hard it is to come through the junior ranks to be a senior club. You needed to count on all of that today, that experience. Yeah, I suppose we've met, we've never had it easy in finals. It's always been a hard slog, and we've always grinded out the win. And I suppose at halftime in particular, we knew that we were still in that game and that we, had, we hadn't performed yet. And we came out after halftime, and we knew there was more in us, and we gave it everything we could. What does it feel like? I mean, you've been there since the very beginning. You know what this means to the area where you come from. It's huge, and it's fantastic to see women, as you said, equally being treated equally by your club, and look what happens. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, we couldn't ask for better in Castlehaven. Um, we're really delighted with this. Uh, when we when the club was started, I don't think we expected this at all. It's it's amazing. We we are really delighted. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I think that's enough. I leave you go. Congratulations. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks. <laughs> Alice O'Driscoll, it's been a long road for Castlehaven, 10 years in existence, you're now a senior club. Once again, you, had, you needed 25 metre freeze to do it. How do you feel? It's just, first of all, it's unbelievable that we came to this again. You know, oh, yeah. another, like, my heart goes out to Clamore again. It's a terrible way to end the county final. But I remember starting Junior E with this club, getting absolutely hammered with this club, Junior E. And to think that we are up senior, I never... Never thought I would be playing senior with Castlehaven, but it's there, it's there. But just finally, what a bunch of girls, what a squad, because you had to stick together this year. Unbelievable, I mean, like, the depth in the squad is, is something else. The young ones have, the young ones I call them, but they have come out of the woodwork this year, you know. They have driven us on, we're all fighting for places, you know. Um, we've had injuries, I mean, against Ross, um, Mairead was gone, Grani was gone, I was, I was gone. There was other girls came off that day and, you know, the younger ones came and they stepped up. So unbelievable. And it just goes to show you need a full panel to win and to get to, to senior. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Dini Callan, we stood in the same pitch at the, at the Junior A County final last year when you beat Donnie's on 30 metre freeze. Today you went to extra time at Glanmire in an absolutely brilliant intermediate final to win on 25 metre freeze. How are you feeling and can you put, can, can you put it into words? My voice has got to get the same as last year. Uh, look, what can I say about these bunch of girls? We were dead and buried the first half of a normal game. We said to them at halftime, throw the kitchen sink and if they did, pull off the draw. Look, unreal. You can see by the girls' faces, there's tears of joy there. Just unreal. Unreal. Um, real guts needed. You had to dig deep an extra time because a lot of players are cramping. They're still cramping on both sides. But what an effort. Yeah. And that's where the, all the fitness and all the hard work that you've gone through um, has come true for you today. Definitely. I'm not, look, and the bench. I'm saying it all year. It's a panel that wins games. 
we use five, six, seven between the extra time and our five, six, seven subs. And look, they made a difference as well. Fresh legs, you know, just unreal, unreal. Brilliant for the parish. I know it's hard to put into context. You're only in existence about 10 years, but you're now a senior club. Next year, you meet the cream of the crop and you're up there with them. What does this mean to the area? What does it mean to ladies football in West Cork? Oh, look, it's hard to believe. Like, it's, as you said, we're not too long in existence. Same bunch of girls. But the effort they've put in, they're, as you said, they're up at the cream next year, the seniors. Look, we might, we might even get a few call-ins off the arrow crowd. <laughs> okay. I'm not going there. But listen, congratulations and well done, Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Thanks. I'm here with Neva Vaughan winning captain uh, Una. Tuig, uh, congratulations, first of all. Winning a junior A county, Una, how important is it for this group of players? It's so, so important. We have, we've, we've come so close in the last couple of years in semi-finals and it's just heartbreak, but... Like you could feel it this week, the build up to it, the girls really wanted it. And even last training on Thursday, we just dug deep. We knew we, knew we had it in the camp, and it was just to perform on the day. And couldn't be happier that we have. Consistent all year. I've said it to your manager, like you won a lot of hard games in the Junior A Championship and you got to the final. We have indeed, yeah. And like, and it's shone through the hard game. So, like, we'll always take credit for that in the build up. But it's just, it's unreal today. It's just, you can't put it into words. It's unreal. And finally, what does this mean to this group of players with all the effort that you put in? Everything, all the blood, sweat, and tears through the muck and rain, it's it was worth it in the end. Congratulations, go get that cup! Thanks so much, Noel McDonough. First of all, hearty congratulations, uh, Junior A County Champions, Neva Vaughan. Fantastic performance. The two early goals that that set you up, though, absolutely. I suppose in a game like this, if you get an advantage of six points in a tight, close game with two good teams, it's hard to get that back, and obviously, that was in the head of of Skibreen they had to get back into the game quickly and probably forced them to come at us and left us gaps to the back that we could exploit and that's what we did you know and in fairness to Skibreen they, they stayed going till the very finish they were attacking attacking but we were able to pick them off when they when they had to push for the two goals back we were able to, to get back and score again you know? so it's fantastic It's been a great year for you it's a very very tough junior A grade to get out of you're up into intermediate but um, you've done really well been very consistent I'd say Yeah we have and if you go back over the last uh, 12 14 months we've we've just Came out of Winnie Minor uh, County. Uh, we went on to win the under 21 county against actually, uh, we played Skibreen in the final of that. And again today, and it's, the girls are used to the big stage now. And they're well used to coming out and playing in big days. And a lot of that team are still 16, 17, minor, 21. So hopefully, you know, going well, there's a great bright future there. Looking forward to the intermediate grade next year? Absolutely. As you look at the challenges there, and you know, every time you can step up a notch, I'm sure the girls will step up and we'll have a, a good campaign tonight and a good celebration and we'll go from there. Excellent, well done, man. Listen, thanks a lot. Thanks. Uh, Derek Tobin, first of all, commiserations getting to a county final losing is never easy, but there's a lot to take from the season as a whole for this group of players, and I'm sure you're hoping that you'll bounce back next year. Yeah, for definitely, Look, in fairness, give the guards their credit, they've done every single thing we asked them all year. And, you know, it was a mixed year for everyone, kind of thing. Like, you know, absolutely, we're gutted here now at the minute. But look, we'll, we'll, we'll go back and regroup and try to learn from our mistakes and go ahead again, like. Did that start, that like two goals early on really set you on the back foot? Yeah, look, we know look, Nave Vaughan are very dangerous. They're a very good side in fairness, look, and they've played, they've played well all year and they've been a threat up front, you know, and so Chris Boss, we tried to learn from it. I think we got a lot right and we probably maybe needed a few extra things as well, but look, we're, we're heading the right direction all the time. The girls are learning, so. Yeah, that's key. You've got some really talented players and the junior A is incredibly difficult to get out of, as you well know, but there's enough there next year to really come back and bounce, have another cut off this again. Yeah, I hope so. Like, you know, I mean, in fairness, to give the girls their credit, they, you know, it was a kind of mixture, like, with, you know, people travelling and different things and stuff. And in fairness, to give them their credit, they worked hard while they were away. And even when they came back, they regrouped and got back in. And, you know, some of the younger girls came into it as well and stuff. And look, you couldn't ask any more out of the girls, in fairness. They, they were, and thanks to the management as well, like, you know, 
we started back in December trying to get this done like in you know strength and conditioning everything they asked we done everything they asked us to do or everything we asked them to do they done like so you know look we'll have, we'll have another go thanks very much man thanks sir thanks sir the big red bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM So a fantastic weekend for Cork LGFA a triple header of county finals in MTU Cork which saw Morn Abbey crowned senior champions Castlehaven crowned intermediate champions and Neva Vaughan uh, crowned junior A champions uh, along the sidelines on the day with me was the chief sub-editor of the Echo Life in the Echo newspaper Rory Noonan and I spoke to Rory about those three matches and also reviewed two other very important games which took place the following afternoon at MTU Cork the senior B decider in which Formoy de- defeated Clonakilty and the senior A relegation playoff between Valley Rovers and Inch Rovers Rory and I sat down to just go through what was a fantastic weekend of football for Cork LGFA and here's what Rory had to say on the back of one of the most entertaining and dramatic triple header of Cork LGFA County Finals at MTU Cork last Saturday. I'm delighted to be joined by the Chief Sub-Editor of the Echo Live.ie and Echo Newspaper, Rory Noonan, to go through all of what was a very, very exciting day, as we said. Rory, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench. Thanks, Joe. And I suppose, Joe, before, before we start into the matches, I just would like to compliment everybody involved on Saturday and Sunday from Cork LGFA point of view. Um, it was very well organised, as you know, you were out there as well as me. Long days, but, you know, and to see such great crowds out there, was, 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 they were two fabulous days. So compliments to them all around before we get into the game. Yeah, in fairness, no, I know there was a huge amount of people trying to get in and out of the three games. And that takes a little bit of extra time because of the venue itself. But that in itself, I think, is an endorsement of the popularity of the Ladies Football Championships. The fact that so many people were trying to get in for each of the three games and across those three games, the crowd was pretty much the same in that MTU stand. And that, that's a very healthy sign, Rory. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think um, they told me 1,200 tickets were sold in advance as well as walk-ins on the day. So, you know, that's a brilliant, brilliant to see that amount of people coming out to see ladies football. And, and the atmosphere was brilliant out there right from the first match um, to, to the end. Like, you know, it was, I thought there was great atmosphere out there. And again, on, on Sunday for, for the, the Valley Rovers, uh, Inter Rovers and the Clan versus for my match, it was the same. The stand was full and there was big crowds out there. So like the coffee, the coffee, um, Dock out the back like the little the chaos of the cell in the coffee. I said, they had a good weekend anyway. <laughs> God bless them for putting it there. That's all I can say. And uh, ah. as we said, thank you very much again on behalf of the media, as Rory said, to both MTU and the LGF, Cork LGFA for organising and running it. Um, let's start with the big one. Morn Abbey are champions yet again. 3-12 to 13 point victory over Airog. One player dominating the headlines coming out of this particular final, Rory. Laura Fitzgerald, I presume you're you're, oh, you're, yeah. you're uh, referring, <laughs> yeah, referring yeah, the hat trick hero, you know, yeah, yeah. The hat, the hat, the hat trick hero. You know, I mean, she is a, a goal machine, and, and you know, you give her the ball in front of goal, and generally there's only one flag being raised, and that's the that's the green one. To be to be fair to her, like you know, she's just um, never never lets them down. You know, one probably one of the most consistent players, and sometimes maybe like with with the likes of Darren O'Sullivan and Kira and one or two others, she maybe plays a little bit under the radar. In, in, in the praise that, that, that she gets but she certainly was their uh, their hero last weekend which she has done again go back a couple of years when they won the All-Ireland Final up in Limerick she was the player that got the winning point in the in, in the last couple of seconds of the match you know so she's not uh, afraid of the big occasion and she has performed for them many many times on a big occasion and she did so again last Saturday so fair, fair play to Laura like you know very very um, quiet quite an unassuming person like you know but Brilliant on the pitch, brilliant on the pitch. Yeah, and look, we've so much to get through. We're not going to kind of go into the deep analysis of the game itself, but I suppose one question I wanted to ask you, Rory, coming out of it from Air Oak's point of view, I think 
it was a much improved performance on last year's county final. I know Donald that won't be much solace to Donald Cronin and, and, and the players, but they had goal chances in that game. And you know, had they taken one, maybe two goal chances, who knows? We might have had a closer final. Are, they're getting closer to Abbey, but are they close enough? Do you think over the next twelve months, possibly even longer, to finally bridge that gap? Absolutely, they're getting closer. And Maeve, Maeve, Maeve O'Sullivan made at least two very, very good saves on the day. One, I don't know how she saved it, to tell you the truth, if I'm honest with you, how she stopped the ball dead, because I thought it was going to end up in the back of the net, but she did, in all fairness to her. Um, they are getting closer. I suppose my, my concern from an arrow point of view going forward is that if you actually look at the two teams on the day, there was six or seven, six players didn't start more than Abbey last year that started last Saturday. There was only one for Air Oak. So, you know, you'd be wondering, like, I mean, one of the players that didn't start for Mon Abbey that started last Saturday was Roisin O'Sullivan. Okay, she's been around the, um, a small bit, but the others were all young players in, in, in general that are coming through. And so, you know, that's where my concern would be for Aeroke. Have they got the players coming behind, maybe to back up the ones that are there? Mon Abbey appear to have. So, you know, don't rule out a final between the two of them again next year, although there's a certain team down by Cork may have to say <laughs> that, a big say that. We'll we, we talk about that a different time. But, um, you know, Mornabi are going to be the team to, to beat again next year, definitely. Um, Aero will certainly be one of their challengers, and I think probably their main challenger still. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And just before we leave that senior final, we don't know wh- exactly where or when just yet, but we do know, Rory, that um, the reward for winning the another Cork senior championship is another meeting with their old rivals, Mornabi's old rivals, Bally McCabry, after their 41st consecutive Waterford senior success. Um, as we said, we'll, we'll verify when and where that's on as soon as we get the details, but that's one to be savoured coming up in the Munster Championship. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, these two have had some battles over the last number of years when the, in the Munster Championship. You know, Mornabi obviously have held the upper hand in them, but there's been a couple of them that has gone right down to the wire. Late scores to win games between the two of them, you know, so this is not going to be an easy game. And, you know, I mean, it's an unbelievable record. 41 years on the, on the, on the trot winning your county championship. You know, it's an amazing record. It, it says a lot about the club themselves and, and just how, you know, the intensity that they keep up year after year. You think that maybe after winning it, you know, 30-odd times, you might say, sure, give someone else a chance. But they certainly don't, you know, and they, they won't uh, come down to, to Mornabi because I think Mornabi should be at home. They won't be coming down there um, fearful of facing the, of the car champions. As a matter of fact, they'll be looking to get one over them. They will indeed, and that's something to look forward to. But congratulations to Shane, Ronan and Moore Abbey yet again, uh, proving the best team in the county at senior A level. Um, fantastic victory for them in the county final. Laura Fitzgerald, take you all the headlines. And remember, you can read extensive coverage um, of all those finals that were played over the weekend on the Echo Lightery website and, and in, in the Echo newspaper uh, because of Rory Noonan's writings. And you can I have, uh, inf- I have articles in today's Irish Examiner and the Southern Star will also be covering them uh, across the board later in the week. Now, Rory, last November, you and I stood in the middle of the MTU pitch and watched the most dramatic Junior A football championship final and game that I think I've ever seen, Castlehaven needed 30 metre freeze, that's how it's decided in Cork LGFA Championships, to defeat Donnies to become Junior A champions. We never thought we'd see that again until this past weekend when Castlehaven and Glenmire played out a cracking intermediate county final, finished a level 211 to 114, and this time it's 25 metre freeze following a rule change, but the same outcome. Absolutely, it was unbelievable then, and you could almost see it 
coming into the last few minutes of the match. I think you actually said it, you know, let's just skip extra time and go straight to the 25-meter freeze because that looked like the way it was going to head anyway at that point. So you were spot on in, 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 in your prediction at that point. But, you know, it's a remarkable for, for, for Castlehaven. And I suppose, you know, that little bit of experience they had of them last year did tell in the end. It's, it's, it's a difficult um, thing to do. It's a lot of pressure on young players. Um, I'm making no secret because I said it before that I'm not a fan of it personally but you know all credit to Castlehaven they kept their heads when they needed to and young 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 Welton will, will forever be Rachel Welton will forever be a hero down with her club after she scored the winning one but in, in all, you know they were very very good Castlehaven to be to their in fairness to them you know Glamoire as we said got a little bit ahead they came back they got a, they got a goal late on um, and I thought that was going to be the winning of it for Haven but again, Glamour came back. So really, it was topsy-turvy all through that match. But to keep your head like that in, in the 25-meter freeze, you know, great credit must be going to Castlehaven. And I suppose, as you would well know, they have now won four county titles in a row, which it, which in itself like, is, is just an achievement that they have to they say hats off to Castlehaven for their, for their success. Yeah, the, the juggernaut, the momentum, whatever cliche you want to use, is certainly behind that club. They're only 10 years in existence as a ladies football club, but the, the strides they have taken and the way they have, I remember watching them lose, uh, I think it was a junior B county final to their great rival Scabrine and coming back the following year. And since then, they've won all before them. Um, they are a club on the up. It will be fascinating next year. and we, we, We've loads of time to talk about it over the winter, but it's going to be a fascinating senior championship next year with Castlehaven in it and just seeing how well they go. On the intermediate final itself, uh, Rory, I wanted to mention Glanmire because I thought they put in a terrific display any other day and against any other opponent, I think they would have won. And it's heartbreaking. I mean, they must be sick at the sight of West Cork teams because that's three intermediate finals in a row that they've lost to West Cork. Uh, Valley Rovers played their football in the West Cork division, for those who don't know, over the last couple of years. But one person I wanted to mention, I know you, you, you picked her out as well in the final itself, and that's Lucy Green because time was up. Glanmire were down a point. It was the last kick of the game. It was a difficult free on a windy day and she absolutely nailed it to take the game to extra time. She finished as Glanmire's top scorer. Now, I know she missed her 25-metre free and she was heartbroken after that. But without Lucy Green, they wouldn't have even got that far. But your assessment of Glanmire this year, because look, they've been in, they've been challengers at intermediate level for, for the last three or four years, if not longer. But your assessment of how good they were this year and what can they do to finally get over that, you know, that final step to get up to senior next year? Oh, listen, they, they've had a very, very good season. And I, again, you just said, like, losing three finals in, in a row is heartbreaking stuff, you know. Um, sometimes, the, I suppose, like, when the doubts come in, when you when you get laid on into a match and you go a point or two down, but in fairness to them, you know, that, that free from Lucy, as you just were speaking about there, uh, you know, to nail that was took it off a lot of guts in fairness to her. She's a young player. She's uh, just out of minor, so like you know, to be that young and to have the confidence in herself to do that, great credit to her. Um, from from a Glanmire point of view, going forward, just you know, I mean, there's not a lot they're doing wrong, to be honest with you. You know, I thought maybe that late on in the match, that instead of continuing to play the, the way they had, which was driving forward at Castlehaven, they got maybe a little bit defensive, which I suppose you can understand because no doubt the, the thoughts start coming into your heads about protecting your lead, particularly what, what's happened to them in the last two years. So I thought that went against them. And I think it maybe if they continued to play the way that they normally play, which is driving forward the teams, that it may have got them over the line this time. And and hopefully if they continue maybe in that way next year, because they have the talent. Mm-hmm. I know they have plenty of great players. And Ava Fitzgerald, leave it to me, you know, 
Abby O'Mahony, you can keep going. Ellen Toomey, there's another few more there as well. Like you know, so they have plenty of talent there, and uh, you know, maybe they will they will be lucky to get their get their day in the sun sometime. Yeah, I think it's coming, and hopefully, I think you wouldn't begrudge him at this stage. And like, uh, it was just such a good performance. But look, let's give some credit as well to to Castlehaven. What a record it's been over the last number of years. They're up senior next year, and that's going to be exciting to put it mildly. Now, the opening game of the trilogy of last Saturday's county finals saw Neva Bond defeat O'Donovan Rosser from West Cork four six to one ten. Fully deserved win for the Ballivorney Club. A brilliant game from start to finish from them. They got two early goals from Annie Maher and Grania. Lucy, um, they were 2-3 to no score up before Skib finally found their feet and fought their way back in. Um, but in the second half, another matter goal and a late goal by Cleano O'Leary put the seal on a victory for Neva Vaughan. This is a team, Rory, Neva Vaughan, that are going to be very interesting to watch at intermediate level because they've got an awful lot of good players throughout that team, young players. If they go well in intermediate, let's see, let's see how they do next year. They've also got a Munster Junior A Championship coming up as well, which we'll be keeping an eye on over the coming weeks. But um, uh, terrific to see the Ballivorney Club up intermediate next year. Absolutely, and and you just said it there. I think a key word you said there was young players. So they're they're very young side that's coming through and maturing as as they're going up through the various ranks. You know, they're not going to be a, an easy team. And don't be surprised if we see them facing off against Glenmire in the intermediate final next year. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't put it beyond them at this stage. You know, the way it to be all credit to them. Um, and I suppose what really Im- Im- impressed me out there with that match aside from what was happening on the pitch because it was a fabulous game to watch um, I know I did miss the start but it was a fabulous game to watch was the, was the, the amount of supporters that both, both sides brought like you know magnificent atmosphere in the in the stand for that game as well really enjoyable game to watch and and I think you know Neva Vaughan are going to be someone that are possibly going to be um, the, 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 one of the threats to Glenmire uh, in, 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 in the media championship next year yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see that and uh, obviously O'Donovan Russell will be looking to bounce back in a, it's always a competitive junior A title as well but yeah, a good opener to that, that, that trilogy of finals Let's talk about Sunday uh, because there was two big matches back at MTU on Sunday Now you were at the Senior B County Final between Clonakilty and Formoy that Formoy won um, in the end and deservedly so I would imagine Rory from your uh, match report which people can find on Echo Live that I Oh yeah, I mean it was, it was a very very good game you know one eight each at half time. It was very, very tight, but I just thought that, you know, in the second half for my for my upped it a little bit and uh, you know, they they just were that little bit better on the day than Clanders. Nothing between the two teams to be fair overall. But it was just I think it was just a finish from from, from my they, they had kind of they got a couple of points, they got three points in a kind of a very short spell. Kind of the ninth to the twelfth minute in the second half and that kind of turned it in their favour. They went two points, that put them two points to the good. And from there on, then they they never they never were behind, and and they looked looked a better team. But like they had some great great displays. Abby Abby Scannell, their captain, had a very very good game. Uh, Kathleen Duffy, their corner forward, played very well. But I thought to me, the key player for them was was Ashling Ashling Hutchins. Mm-hmm. You know, she 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 covered every blade of the grass across the back line in the second half when when Clan were coming at them and coming at them hard to try and get to try and get scores. You know, because Clan are a very good side, and with the likes of Sinead O'Donovan and and Millie Condon and a few others, Kira Ryan were, were pushing hard for 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 scores, and and Ashling was just superb. I thought she like had there been a player of the game to me, she she was had without a, a doubt head and shoulders above everyone for that, and she just really led by example. And I believe, and there's some talk that she may be considering hanging up her red jersey, the court jersey. And um, I hope she reconsiders that if that's true. But because because I just thought she was outstanding at for my she certainly led by example for her club yesterday. 
Yeah, excellent stuff. So well done to Fermoy because that's it's always important to win a title, whatever grade you're at, and it keeps the momentum going. It keeps things going. As for Clan, they'll bounce back hopefully again next year in what's uh, going to be an interesting uh, both Senior A and Senior B championship, whichever way it pans out uh, in 2023. We also have to mention the fact that Inch Rovers retained their senior status in a nine-goal bonanza, Rory, can't even say it, 5-11 to 4-7, Inch Rovers beating Valley Rovers. Emer Kiley um, popped up with 2-2 for Valley Rovers in that particular game. But once again, Inch Rovers, we were talking about them uh, that afternoon. Would they have enough to um, to keep their senior status? What was going to happen? Well, Annie Walsh with 1-5 and Marie O'Connor with 2-2. They certainly answered us with with that and a fantastic win for Inch and hopefully, hopefully something they can build on for 2023. Yeah, and I suppose Inch's big problem this year was, was the amount of injuries they had. I think at one stage they had potentially saw in the region of 10 players that may start for them, all injured. And, you know, they had four subs Yes, on, on on Sunday uh, for the for the for the, for that relegation match. So it just shows how tight they were for squad members. But I suppose, you know, in fairness, and I and I going to mention mention one player in particular, like you know, for her dedication to the team, and that was Annie Walsh. Annie Walsh scored one six in the first twenty five minutes before she had to then go off, uh, because she was dashing to the airport to get a plane to Croatia to play with the Irish Aussie rules team. So she certainly was, was, was had a huge part to play in their win. Uh, and, you know, I suppose it shows her dedication to her club, the fact that, you know, despite the fact she knew she was having to dash off to, and play with Ireland in a big tournament, she still willingly went out. And, you know, with the risk of possibly picking up an injury that may have, you know, seen her not being able to play. So she was she was a huge part in the first half. Herself and Rachel O'Sullivan had a right battle for that 25 minutes, the two of them. Um, but, but any inference to her, used all her experience and and was was probably set, she set up that win really because they were they were three seven to two five up at half time and you consider she had got one six of that you know was 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 big like you know and then Anne Marie O'Connor in 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 the second half uh, showed um, again her little bit of experience a little bit of guile that she has been around for a few years as well too and they were they were the two real key players I thought in, in that win bridge on, yeah. on the valley side. It's 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 I suppose it's very hard first year up to go straight back down you know, um it's it, it's difficult um again we did discuss it before like maybe there should be some way in my view of maybe when you first year you come up that you get some sort of a like you know boy shall we say from being relegated or whatever but look that's the way it is and unfortunately for Valleys um on the day inch were just that bit too strong for them. Yeah, so well done to Introvers and look, commiseration to Valleys. It's been a difficult year with injuries and with people away, as you said. Um, one thing I've just realised there, Rory, we were talking about the Intermediate Championship next year with Neva Vaughan coming up, but with Valleys going down, um, that's a very strong looking intermediate field all of a sudden. And that's the benefit of the relegation and the promotion. Like uh, over time, you will see the um, uh, kind of an evening out of the teams and the championships like you've seen on the men's side. So I think that's a positive thing. Before we finish up, I just want to mention one game. One other thing to mention is the Junior C Championship this past weekend, which Ballinora, who beat Mallow 1-9 to 8 points, and Tyke McCarrick from West Cork, who overcame St. Michael's, following a 4-15 to 5-12 draw after extra time, and a semi-final in which Cora were down 12 points with something like nine minutes to go before winning it on 25 metre freeze, four points to two. So congratulations to Cora for coming through that. Commiserations to St. Michael's and that junior C decider between Cora and between Ballinor will be taking place in the near future. We don't have a date on that just yet, but well done to them. Um, 
that's about it, Rory. I think we've covered just about everything and anything we've missed. We apologise. There's a lot of monster action coming up over the next couple of weeks. We'll be talking about that here on the Big Red Bench throughout that campaign. But for now, uh, a sincere thanks to, as ever, to the Chief sub editor with the Echo Live.ie and Echo Newspaper, Rory Noonan, for covering all the latest on the Cork LGFA here with us on the Big Red Bench. Thanks, sir. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. This weekend sees the SE Systems Cork Camogie Senior and Intermediate County Championship semi-finals taking place. On Sunday in Ovens at 1 o'clock it's Inascara versus Sars and then at 4 o'clock it's the Bars versus Shandoon in the Senior semi-finals. Um, also this weekend on Saturday, Black Rock take on the Piercing and Ahabulloch take on Ballyhay to see who will go through to the Intermediate County Decider and joining me to go through each of those games previewing them and looking at the key players in all four of those matches is Echo Live.ie's and the Echo Newspapers Mary Newman. Now we're delighted to be joined by Echo columnist and one of the two first ladies along with Linda Mellerick of Cork Camogie and I'm sure she'll be delighted to be called that again but that's Mary Newman. Mary you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Uh, that's a new title for me. <laughs> Thanks very much for that. <laughs> we are talking about a very busy weekend in the SE Systems Cork Camogie Senior and Intermediate Championships where we're down to the last four. And on this Sunday coming in ovens at one o'clock in Ascara take on SARS and then at four o'clock the Bars take on Shandoon in the SE Systems Cork Senior Camogie semi-finals. Two absolute cracking matches to look forward to, Mary. Let's start with the Innes- let's start with St. Finbars and Shandoon. Um, because Shandoon came through their quarter final very impressively against Aeroog 5-16 they put up on a young Aeroog team while the Bars were pushed all the way by Killa but this one has got a lot of talent on both teams and should be an absolute cracker Yes indeed and I suppose as you say Shandun probably had the easier passage coming through the divisional side as well they didn't you know have much opposition there because very very strong teams very strong in all sectors and I suppose challenge in the quarterfinals the young Aeroog side and indeed I know they had a lot of uh, players out with very severe flu on the night as well, which didn't help their cause. But uh, yeah, Shandun have been hugely impressive um, to date, and I suppose they're the champions. And you know, when you're champions, I suppose you have that certain um, confidence about you as well. But you know, the Bars have been very, very impressive, came through some very hard games as well, and um, they'll be as eager, I suppose, to join their hurlers of footballers in the county final. and. So definitely that's going to be a great game, I think. It's an all-city clash, I suppose, as well, which mm. even makes it more interesting. Will it come down, Mary, to how well the Bars mark Amy O'Connor, Lauren Homan and Hayley Ryan? Now, they're just three members of that Shandoon team, but they're the three that have been kind of down the spine of the team, along with Amy Lee and Goal, that have been consistent all year. How, be, how important is it that the Bars manage to try, to try and stifle that attacking threat? Yeah, I suppose, yeah, the Bars will really have to close them down, and I suppose the Bars backs will, will need to be, you know, on top of their game. You know, they have some very good defenders there, actually Shannon Ifoni, just to mention two. And I suppose um they they will um they'll be hoping to I suppose to keep keep tabs on those um those Shandun forwards who have been very impressive and I no doubt Paddy Murray will know Amy O'Connor very well and Lauren Home and having has him on teams that he would have been involved with and Paddy is with the bars and he would probably have some tricks up his sleeve, no doubt. Um, maybe the Bars probably might come back and play a bit defensive, like Paddy is kind of known for doing things like that. Um, but then again, if they do that, are they taking someone out of their own attack around the middle of the field? I suppose they'd have Saoirse McCartan, maybe they, would they drop her back? You don't know. Um, I suppose it would be the obvious thing to do if you're trying to close down the legs of Amy O'Connor and Lauren Holman. They'll probably have to try to cut the supply 
to the two of them because they are the two players. And I suppose Caitlin Hickey is another player who will be one to watch for Shandun. She was absolutely magnificent in last year's county final. If you remember rightly, we were standing together there and we were talking about her performance in the first half when Shandun really, really were, you know, battling to try and stay in the match. She was the one kept them in the game and she's one the Bears will really need to watch as well, you know. So, yeah, I suppose it could come down to that in the end, you know, who... Who, who marks who out of the game, really. That's what it's about, I think, you know. It that is. One. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And it's that. Gonna, it, it, it is, and it's hard to call. I couldn't call it. Mm. You know, I couldn't call it. They're two very good teams. Um, the Bars have been knocking on the door for a while. You know, last year we all expected them to be in the final. But in Ascara, dogged team dug it out. And Shandun then, I suppose, in Ascara probably came at Shandun a bit late in the county final. If there was another few minutes left in it, would Ascara have won it? You know, they're, they're, they're a good side as well. So, um, yeah, I suppose two of the best teams in it are, are in that clash with Bars and Shandun. And I, I couldn't call it. I'll go for a draw. <laughs> <laughs> and a replay, fair I'll enough. Go for a draw. The other I'll semi final you mentioned in Ascara there, they came through a really tough test from Cladove. They beat them 14 to 1 8 in their quarter final, while Sars also in a high scoring clash involved with Corsi Rovers, 118 to 213. Again, Mary, this is a very difficult one to call. Two very, very talented teams, an up and coming Sars team, a lot of youth, and an Ascari team, an Ascari team excuse me, that are regularly there at the end of the season when it comes to the championship. How do you see this one panning out? Well, you know, I suppose in Iscara, what you just said about them there, um, that's why they beat Kudov, because they knew how to win. Like, Kudov had a lot of chances, a lot of freeze wide as well. But in Iscara, dug it out the last few minutes and really, really, like, the experience of Aileen Sheehan got the point that put them one ahead and just, like, in a flick, they were three points ahead and they had it won. And it's that experience that's so crucial in games like that. Sars were equally impressive against horses. I felt horses myself probably were, you know, they, they called themselves a bit unlucky to have lost this. They were playing extremely well. Christine O'Neill was having a very, very good game for them. I was very surprised to see them taking her off. I know maybe she got tired, but they had uh, Linda Collins in around the full forward line there. Then they started to struggle to get ball into Linda. I felt myself and myself and Linda Melrick were talking about it. I felt if they had brought Linda Collins out maybe to the half-forward line and shoved Christine O'Neill in, in around the goal, her experience would have been crucial in around there. Linda would have been winning ball. But in fairness to Sars, they hung on, they dug it out. Good young players. Um, you know, they're a good side. They're young, as we were kind of saying. They needed a bit of leadership. They have it now. Um, but I still, like, I've been kind of fancying in this Gara all year. There's something about them. I, I, they know how to win. Mm. I suppose that's it. They know how to win county. They've been there a couple of times. They like Serena, Aileen Sheehan. You know, they're good, good, good players. Joanne Casey is a player that stars will really have to keep tabs on because she's turning it on and she's a player that would beat you. Like, they are short. Um, the Cork, Rosie O'Mani, isn't it, Rosie? One of the two of them. They're, um, the Cork senior player, Casey. With the cruciate, she's out, she did her cruciate, and she's a huge last in Ascara, but they have fine players. Um, I, I think stars like are really up against it here, but they're young, they've nothing to lose, and they'll probably go hell for leather at it. Um, I have a slight favouring for Inascara because of the experience they have. I saw Inascara playing Ballygarvan 
and Ballygarvan pushed, or sorry, Sarsden and Ballygarvan, and Ballygarvan pushed them to the wire as well. Uh, Sars hung on, but I, I think Inescara had just that bit more experience, you know? Mm. So I'd probably say slightly, i go for Inescara, I think. Okay. Well, that's, I think it'll be close. I think it'll be very close there I think as well. Both semi-finals will be very close. And remember, the yeah. SE Systems Cork Senior Camogie Championship semi-finals taking place this Sunday in Ovens. One o'clock in Iscar and Sarah Strong and at four o'clock the Bars and Shandoon. Before I let you go, Mary, the intermediate county semi-finals at the time of recording early in the week here, we don't know where they're on, but Black Rock are taking on the Pearsig and Ahabullock are taking on Ballyhabe. Just briefly, who do you see coming through those two semi-finals? Um, they're both on Saturday. I suppose Abolok have been in the last three finals, so or the last two finals, beaten in the last two finals. I suppose they'd be favoured to come through there. Blackrock, I suppose, are the the team everybody is pointing to this year. Mm. Um, I, I think Pierce could probably run them close, but I think Blackrock's experience will probably have been at this level twice already. Probably get them over the line. It's ironic actually because they'll all be playing against each other on Saturday, and they'll all be playing with each other on Sunday. <laughs> So uh, that's going to be a very interesting one, I suppose. The Shandun mentors will be hoping that they all behave themselves <laughs> and uh, that they'll be all still um, buddy buddies by the time it's over on Saturday. But um, I, I suppose everybody has been saying all year it will be an Avola Black Cross final. And that's kind of, people were saying once they were kept apart from the groups. So I suppose that's kind of what everybody is thinking. Um, Belly Hay would probably, you know, Belly have made huge strides this year and so have Nepirshik and they both battled very hard. I know Amy Lee will be pushing Nepirshik on there and she's a wonderful keeper and, um, you know, if, if they can stop that rocket and goals, you know, Nepirshik could do it. Okay. But, uh, yeah, but I suppose Abolog and Blackrock is probably what it, what, is what's favoured to be in the final. So let's see. But they'll be too good. Back to the say we don't know where they're on and we're all waiting to find out but the board are trying their best so if there's anybody out there can help the county board they have a massive programme of under 14 finals for the weekend and they're looking for venues so if anybody can help the Camogie board please get in touch with the juvenile board or the county board because they really really need pitches this weekend very well said and uh, very well uh, analysed both the Intermediate and the Senior County Semi-Finals of the SE Systems Cork Camogie Senior Intermediate Championships taking place this weekend and you can read all about it next week in the on echolive.ie and in the pages of the Echo with Linda Merrick and our guest this week Mary Newman Mary once again thanks very much for being on the bench Thank you Ger Thank you That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts You can also listen online at redextra.ie don't forget to tune in to the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and Valerie Wheeler between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6pm, Cork's Red FM.